The question is, if it's 12 months from now, how can I look back and be thankful for this time and feel like I did the right stuff during this unexpected downtime? Welcome to the World of Speakers podcast brought to you by Speaker Hub. In this special series, we interview speaking experts on how to navigate the coronavirus as a professional speaker. Here's your host, Ryan Foland. Ahoy, everyone, and welcome to another special edition of World of Speakers COVID-19 style. Today, we have Josh Linkner. We had a great conversation on a prior World of Speakers podcast where you can get to know more about him, but think of him as the Miles Davis of keynote speaking. Ladies and gentlemen, Josh Linkner. Josh, how are you, sir? I'm doing great, man. Thanks for having me. And I hope everybody is out there is happy and healthy. Yeah. So let's jump right into it. I want to cover three main topics. I want to know what can we share with our fellow speakers for a little bit of inspiration as the carpet has been pulled from some of us, if not all of us. And then I want to talk about innovation, your core strength when it comes to helping companies fight change. How can we do that with our speaking business? And then I want to talk about speculation. I want you to get out the magic crystal ball and see the future because we want to know what you see within that so we can find how we fit into it. So let's talk about inspiration. This has obviously caught people off guard, but Josh, you talk with so many speakers and you support so many speakers. What are you telling them right now? What is happening and how do we stay inspired? Well, I think we're all trying to figure that out. We are obviously in unprecedented and uncharted waters. But my view is that the industry is going to emerge from this stronger than ever, even in a digital age. And I think even though it's been great, you know, on Zoom calls and such with people, it's just reaffirming how important it is to be face to face. And I think the impact that speakers can and will continue to make in the future is very bright. I look at this in three different quickly distinct timelines. I think for the next 90 days, and for those that are tuning in, we're recording this here at the end of March 2020. I think the business is going to be completely shot, big old zero. And that stinks, but I'm just being real and honest about it. That being said, I think after that, once we start to hit the summer months, I think you're going to start to see some pickup. We've been recently actually booked several speeches for the summer. People are still paying attention. They want to move forward. And obviously there's a cancellation clause, but I think we're going to start to see some real momentum. But come fall, and that's going to be sort of phase three, I think you're going to see things rocket back. There's going to be pent-up demand. There's going to be rescheduled events. And long-term, I remain deeply optimistic about our industry. As you and I have discussed before, in North America alone, there's over $4 billion of speeches bought and sold every year, and there's plenty of opportunity for us all. So I think for us, it's how do we weather the storm? How do we come out stronger? And it sounds like just being realistic with the situation is a great way to weather it, saying, look, for the next 90 days, you just have to reset and recalibrate what you thought was going to happen and then pivot and move into a different direction. So let's jump right into how to innovate your way out of this. Well, certainly this is throwing a monkey wrench. You know, no one could have predicted this. But, you know, as I was building my company and I, I was very lucky, we entered a new industry, digital promotions, and very quickly became the dominant player in our field. And that was great, but I was worried that we would become intoxicated by our own success. One day, I realized that you know success is often achieved in the face of adversity. And since we didn't have that big, evil arch enemy to go fight against at the time, I made one up. I literally had my whole team together. It was about 500 people. And I told them that, hey, there's a competitor out there that's bigger than us, faster than us, more innovative, deeper resources, better clients. And the name of the company was Slither. Now, Slither, and I created a logo that looked like the Enron logo, actually, but Slither, (laughs) everyone knew it was a fake competitor. It was our made-up evil enemy, our nemesis. 
But we started asking, using that as part of our culture. So we would say things like, well, how do you think Slither is handling this? Or what's your counterpart at Slither doing differently than you? And even if we were trying to like reverse engineer a new process, like if we we're trying to save time on a project, instead of saying like, hey, how can we save two days? We would say, hey, how do you think Slither would approach this? And here's the thing. When you do that, it really pushes your creative boundaries and it removes the fear. Because if you're suggesting it for yourself, there's implications, there's responsibility. But if it's just what would Slither do, how awesome is that? So your version of Slither could be the ideal competitor that is well-funded, they never miss a beat, they're really smart. And you might ask yourself, well, what's Slither doing right now? What's the Slither of you in your speaking business doing differently than you are right now? How are they taking advantage of this downtime better than you? And there's so much that we can learn from the Slither example. The idea is is basically challenging yourself to invent new possibilities instead of comparing yourself to your real world competition. Of course, we all have real world competition. But if you invent, like, what would the ideal competitor do and then model your own behavior off of that? Okay, so in this time right now, while we are in the next 90 days and even bridging into the fall where things will hopefully pick back up, what are some of the things that we can do to compete in the long term against somebody who's doing everything that they should be doing in this downtime? I've been asking myself this question a lot since we've all been secluded here. And the question is, if it's 12 months from now, how can I look back and be thankful for this time and feel like I did the right stuff during this unexpected downtime? And I just have a few tips for anyone who's listening. One, it's a wonderful time for learning. What an amazing time to watch that TED Talk that you haven't had the time to check out or or view Masterclass or read a good book or follow your favorite podcasts. It's a great time to learn and expand your knowledge. Another one is uh, building skills, whether it's working on your stage skills or working on your storytelling skills or working on even some other skill like playing guitar like I do or, or some other hobby. Great time to plus up your skills. For me, I've been spending a lot of time going deep into what you might call deep creative work, the stuff that's always important, but you rarely have time to do, and it's hard to do in between speeches and airplanes and TSA lines. So in my case, I'm working on a new book, which I had previously scheduled, but it's giving me much more time to go deep on the research. We're working on a massive brand relaunch, relaunching our website and completely changing the tone and voice that I'm bringing to market. Also working on a new podcast, which has been, again, scheduled previously, but I'm working hard on that and we're going to be an accelerated launch. By the way, it's called Creative Troublemakers, which is kind of fun. (laughs) I think it's a good time for us all to focus on those deep work opportunities that we always say, gosh, I wish I had time to do that. Well, now we have time. And just two other quick points. It's a great time to focus on our health, not only to avoid the virus, but to get fit. What a great time to do those kind of extra reps now that we've got some time. I know we can't go to the gym, but there's always a YouTube video you can follow along with. No one's preventing you from doing sit-ups or push-ups. And then finally, it's a great time to recharge, whether it's reconnecting with loved ones in a much more deep, meaningful way. You know, since our our kids aren't off at sporting events, we can sit down with our family and have a nice dinner and, and have good conversation. So the whole goal, whatever your tactics are, is to say, how can I emerge stronger? How can I emerge from this crisis better off than I was before, better prepared to meet the challenges of the day? And again, being able to look back and being proud of the work that we did in these unprecedented circumstances. No, that's a great way to reverse engineer what to do now as opposed to playing the woohoo. Here's something that I'm personally struggling with and maybe others are as well. Knowing that this is going to have an impact for the next 90 days, for the next six months, let's even say for the next year that it will be on our minds, regardless of how the actual pandemic plays out. I'm trying to figure out whether it's better to position myself in this next year as someone who can deliver a message digitally 
or reinforcing here is my message that can be delivered. Oh, by the way, I can still do it digitally. Do I push my ability and my digital savviness to feel confident in delivering a keynote digitally or a workshop digitally and focus on that like digital delivery process? Or do I still stick with, you need to ditch the act, you need to simplify your messaging, I'm here for you. Oh, by the way, yeah, yeah, we can do it on Zoom, right? I'm looking at those two. I'm curious your thoughts. Well, it's only one man's opinion, and I could certainly argue the other side of it. But my opinion is stay focused on your area of expertise and the value and transformation that you create for your customers. And whether that manifests digitally or in person or on a telephone or using pen and paper, I think it's more important to focus on the value that you deliver to customers. Furthermore, you know, it's funny, as so many speakers are like, okay, now I'm just going to switch everything to digital. Here's the problem, and I don't mean to be discouraging because I'm like a tech guy, I love technology, but I don't think that that is going to have the market demand that we all hope. Here's why. If all they want is training, if all they want is just the raw data from you, they could either A, read your book, B, follow your podcast or read your blog or do a, a training program online. Awesome. But that's not actually what most people are buying when they buy a keynote. The reason they're doing the session usually is far bigger than you or I. In other words, if it's UBS and they're bringing their top 1,500 employees together to Vegas because they don't work hand in hand except for once a year, the reason they're together isn't only to learn our topic. As much as we think our topic is you know, the greatest thing ever, they're there for a different reason. Maybe they're there to entertain clients or to nurture key relationships. Maybe they're there to, to uh, amplify key partnerships. And what we do is part entertainment. They want us to be energizing. They want us to give good content nuggets that their folks can talk about at the cocktail hour. But it's not just raw, pure training and delivery of content. That can happen in a number of different ways. So in other words, maybe 10 or 15% of the market, all they want is your content and they can get it via a Zoom call. But I think most of it is this electrifying experience that we create as keynote speakers that frankly can't be replicated in a digital realm. That's interesting. And I was on your monthly webinar, the Three Ring Circus Alumni Group, which is awesome. And I just love, it was amazing how many people were on this time. It was just like the most ever because this is so top of mind. One of the things that you were saying, which is kind of reinforcing your one man's opinion there is this is a time to really double down on that core message. But you also said how that message applies to COVID-19. So how do you balance this staying focused on your expertise, staying in that one inch wide by a mile deep? How much do we need to apply it to COVID-19 and all of these other elements, which are just so top of mind, but they might just be here for a certain amount of time? Yeah. Unless you're Anthony Fauci, I don't think you should be like COVID-19. <laughs> you know, because that's just none of our area of expertise. And the people that change expertise, like the flavor of the day, I don't think end up reaching success. However, the question becomes, what can your core message do to help people who are going to be recovering economically and health-wise from such a, an unprecedented crisis? For example, if someone was a speaker on overcoming adversity, well, obviously there's a message there that you know your core expertise, overcoming adversity, again, don't change that, but maybe there could be a speaking topic around you know, how you can use the principles of overcoming adversity to bounce back from a recessionary period or bounce back from a health crisis. If you are someone about courage, you know, maybe you talk about how people can, can use courage to win in the post-virus times that hopefully will be in shortly. So I think it's about going deep on your existing area of expertise rather than changing it, but talking about how that particular area can help people. I talk about innovation, so I'm sure I'll be talking about how we can use creative problem solving and inventive thinking to rebound after such an unexpected uh, crisis. 
When it comes to your system that you've set up, you know, I love your player card analogy. For those that don't know, think of your speaker card just like a hockey card or a baseball card. And you've got things like your speaking skills, your message, your credibility, the visual flair, your entertainment value, the impact you have, and your marketing polish. Right now, would you add anything else that we need to be self-evaluating on in this time? What are those other statistics that we can start working on that might not be on that initial card or through like, it's all there? Yeah. So just to bring everyone up to speed, we run a program called Three Ring Circuits, which helps speakers build and or scale their speaking practice. And we've taken the best practices that we've used to build a, you know, four plus million dollar speaking business, as well as, you know, we're endorsed by all the major bureaus. And we really tried to dissect when someone buys a speaker, why are they paying the money that they are? Like, why does someone get five grand versus 50 grand? And why does speaker A get chosen a lot more than speaker B? So we tried to demystify that and we broke it down into core elements. And that's exactly what you're referring to as this player card. And we kind of came up with this list of elements that every point that you can improve your score in each of these elements will boost your business. It'll boost your fee and boost your volume. I think that the ones that are on our original player card are good. We've actually just been discussing, is there a revised version of it? And I have in front of me, I'll just read them off to you. So for the listeners on the call, the idea is that these are 10 factors that will drive your speaking business. Like if you had a car and you sold a car, you know, the more horsepower, perhaps the car, it'd be worth more. The more gas mileage, maybe you'd get a higher price. Similarly, if you boost your score in each of these skills, you're going to get a higher fee and get booked more. So here's my updated one that I've been playing with. Number one is fame and name recognition. So the more well-known you are, obviously, if you're Barack Obama, you know, people know who you are, you're going to get booked. But that's not the only thing. Let's dig into some other ones. Number two is your credibility. If you've written multiple books, I mentioned Dr. Anthony Fauci, who's been the, you know, the head of infectious disease since 1983 or something. That guy's got 40 years in the chair. Nobody's got better credibility on that topic than him. Number three is impact. What's the lasting impact that you create for your audience? Instead of just fun, like how are they different five months or five years from now? Number four is the topic demand. If you speak about something really obscure that maybe would be a nice breakout session, you might not find yourself on a main stage keynote. On the other hand, if your topic is in demand in terms of it's a highly desired topic by major leaders, you're going to get booked more. Number five is your overall influence. What's your social media platform? How big of a voice or big of a megaphone do you have? Number six is your overall brand. You know, how strong is your brand, your marketing polish, your website, your video, all that kind of stuff. Number seven, of course, is your stage skills. How good are you on stage? And yeah, that still matters, of course. (laughs) There's a couple other ones. Number eight, are you a compelling personality? You know, if you're pretty good, but there's not something special about the way you say stuff, then you're just a good college professor. But if there's something just compelling about you, that's going to make people want you to be at their event and share your little bit, your magic with the audience. The last two are uh, number nine, hustle. How bad do you want it? How much are you willing to hustle? How quick do you respond? You know, do you have that just grit and determination and tenacity and resourcefulness to get gigs booked? And then number 10 is a new one, which is the fun factor. Hmm. I think I may downplay this a bit, but I think meeting planners and audiences really want fun. So if all you do is, you know, charts and graphs and 80 words per screen with four point font, that's not fun. And that's not what people want. So even if you have a serious topic like cybersecurity or economics, can you tell it in a fun way that makes people smile and makes people laugh? Add all those together, give yourself a one to 10 score. The higher your overall score is, the more you can charge and the more fees you'll book. Awesome. So there are new ones in there. And it's interesting that the fun, I mean, this is a very dark time right now. And a little bit of levity can probably go a long way if done tactfully. So I like that. 
My question to you when it comes to building this overall scorecard, one that you didn't specifically mention, but I know is important, is your speaker real? Do you see that as part of the card or is that a, a separate to the card? Yeah, I had that on the list under brand. Oh, okay. And so if you double click on brand in your mind, like that's the number one most important marketing asset that you have, bar none. The thing is that most decisions get made without ever talking to a client. It's funny, when you think about who's your most important audience, we often think of the, the thousands of adoring fans that are looking up at our speech. Really, your most important audience is the audience before the audience, which is that committee meeting where they're deciding who to book. Imagine that you made the shortlist. You know, they've narrowed the field down to three speakers and there's eight grumpy people in a meeting deciding who to hire. You don't get a chance to show up at the meeting. So you have to shine based on the video that you have. That marketing video, which is, again, a subset of your overall brand, is the most important marketing asset. And we always say you have to look as good or better that you do on stage in the context of that video. Now, you had mentioned that you still do see the long-term value of the live speaking, which is awesome. And it totally makes sense. But in this next year, if we're going off of your assumptions that 90 days of nothing, another 90 days of ramp up, maybe another 90 days to follow, is it important to refresh our speaker reel to address the digital format? And personally, the experience I've had is, you know, nobody wants to hire you for a big stage until they see you on a big stage. And that's one of the challenges. So I've got finally my big stage video to include But is that as important now where it's like, would they rather see that you're really good on a LinkedIn Live as a guest or, you know, highlighting some of the digital speaking that you've done? Do you think it's important to incorporate that at least now for the next, let's say, 180 days to a year? If you want to, instead of like going to redo your beautiful video that you just shot, I mean, it's easier for a buyer to imagine you on a screen than imagine you on a stage. So if you look great on a stage and you're lighting people up, they're going to sort of be able to extrapolate, you know, that guy would probably be good on a Zoom call. (laughs) If you really wanted to and you want to follow that advice, you could always just do something yourself. Like shoot yourself on a video screen and put it in a little browser window or something and just be like really friendly and personable and authentic and real and high energy so they can see it. I would just shoot that as a second supplemental low budget video versus redoing your whole big shot package. Got it. Okay, that's great. All right. So I know I'm just firing away, but we're just trying to get all kinds of stuff out of you here. You mentioned social media and you've been doing awesome on social media. Like I've just seen you more present on every platform. So kudos to that. And if you're not following Josh, Josh, it's just at Josh Linkner pretty much everywhere, right? That's correct. So social media, what is shared doesn't necessarily go away. And there are a lot of speakers who are in say terms of my book, ditching the act, and they're being a bit more vulnerable. Some of them are sharing their journey of this up and some of the down. Is that content something that we as speakers need to be aware of? Do you think that could come back to bite us in the butt? Or is it really something that is important to do so that when an event planner looks back and searches and sees and finds how you dealt with this crisis, how much is that going to impact? Because we might not be thinking about it. We're just like, creating content or sharing stuff, and we're just talking about what's happening. How are you navigating the social media aspect? Because it's not really business as usual. So how are you seeing, at least for personally, going out there and, and sharing along this, like what's happening during this tough time? Great question. My belief is that being real and authentic and vulnerable and sharing a little bit of things that are personal, like your fears, is totally fine. And I don't think that will come back and hurt you. If anything, I think it'll come back and help you because it shows that you're a real person and you're authentic and open and even a little bit vulnerable, which both buyers and audiences love. What I think you want to avoid is something that would be offensive, 
where the buyer watches it and then says to themselves, I can't put this person on my stage. So if you're swearing like a truck driver, that could come back to bite you. If you're, you know, mm. deep off the rails on one political view or the other, you know, that could come back and bite you. If you're, you know, an angry rant and blaming others, that could come back to bite you. So you think about like, you know, when comedians have gotten in trouble for going too far using racial epithets or something like that, like those are the things that are going to really hurt you on social media and never go away. But being honest and authentic, like, look, we're in a tough time right now and I'm scared. That's an okay thing to say. And I don't think that hurts at all. If anything, I think it elevates your brand. Good, good. And if you do want to learn how to ditch the act, that's what my book's all about. It's funny because, you know, we wrote this book, came out in October and we're trying to convince people to be more vulnerable. And now all this happens and everybody's stuck at home and they're flooding to social media and they're finding being authentic and it connecting. And it's so fun to see everybody connecting in a new way on social. It's less look at me and it's more like, I'm bored or what are you doing? Or I need help or or let's find something to talk about. Yeah. I think we can make real connections even in a digital way, but I love your book, by the way, Ditch the Act. And I think that's exactly what we need to do. I'm trying to do that myself, man. Like not that I've been acting, but, but I feel like, you know, I've got a certain public persona and I'm trying to, to remove any layer between public and personal. Obviously it'd be appropriate, but there really shouldn't be a two different versions. And a lot of that, that guidance comes from you. Well, I'll tell you, as somebody who looks up to you as like the pinnacle or, you know, the the Miles Davis of what I'm trying to get after as well, it is really refreshing when you are human and you're like, this is what I'm struggling with too. And I think people really are drawn to that. So I think you're doing a good job at that. You're not hiding. You're not pretending like everything is not there. You're really being of service to people who are looking up to you. So that's cool. I think this has been an awesome set of information, almost too much, which is a good thing. So I'm sure people can listen again. I do want to talk a little bit about your speculation. And this is really the future of speaking. You kind of touched on it. But for those people who are still trying to determine, based on the data that you have and your experience, what does the future of speaking look like? Well, as dark of times as we may be in currently, I'm really optimistic. I think the industry will continue to expand. I think there's going to be plenty of opportunities for those that are willing to really work hard and have an important message to say. I don't think it's easy. I mean, there's certainly competition. It's even becoming more competitive. But if you work on your business the same way you'd work on if you were a doctor, your medical practice, or if you're a lawyer, you know, building your client base, same type of thing. I think there's tremendous opportunity. The way I continue to look at it is that if you're a professional speaker, there's sort of you're running three concurrent interconnected businesses. One is the business side, and and that's brand and marketing and positioning and all. Another aspect of it is thought leadership. So being an expert in whatever your field of study is. So mine's innovation, and I go really, really deep in that. I'm constantly reading and writing about that particular topic. But that's what buyers want, an expert in something. So that's thought leadership. And that's also sharing your thought leadership, whether it's in books or podcasts or videos or blogs or wherever else. And then the third bucket is your performance skills. I mean, to a degree, we're performing artists in the same way someone on Broadway is a performing artist. So if you look at those three interconnected businesses and you really work to become in sort of the top 5%, you're willing to do what 95% of others won't do so that you get into the top 5% in each of those categories. I don't think it's about natural talent as much as it's about hustle and doing the reps. And if you do that, I believe there's a very, very bright future for anyone who wants to pursue it. And I think that going into this, at least in the last few months and prior to that, it seems as though there's just been a total influx of so many people who want to do professional speaking, just this crazy, massive increase in supply. And the demand didn't really change too much. And there seemed to be challenges for speakers to break out or break through that noise and be seen as that top 5%. 
what is your prediction or your speculation on the supply of speakers as a result of totally dry for the next 90 days and still a little patchy past that? I'm curious because you have so many speakers that you work with, what's going to happen to the supply? Is it really going to be a lower supply and higher demand or from an economic value? What do you see? Well, because the bar is very low in our industry, I don't think that there's going to be a shortage of supply. Look at the field of acting, for example, you know, way bigger supply than demand. Everybody in LA wants to be an actor. But the problem is that not everybody is a good actor and not everybody has done the work so that they build their craft and their skills and their business to the point where they're going to be, you know, getting a starring role in a feature film. And so I think that it's a pretty good parallel, actually. So for all of us, it's one thing to say I'm a speaker because you, you can just say that. I mean, anybody who can open up a PowerPoint and get in front of a microphone can technically say that they're a speaker. Just like anyone can can learn two chords and say they're a guitarist, but you're not necessarily Eric Clapton until you do the work. And so I think that, again, I wouldn't worry so much about the supply side of it. I think for those of us that are committed to the craft, that treat this like a profession instead of a hobby, I think there's going to be plenty of work for us as long as we're following the the discipline that we need to, to elevate ourselves in our field. Interesting. I love that you say everybody can be a speaker. I'm actually trying to convince everyone that they're a speaker. If you speak in public, then you are a public speaker. It's a scientific fact that you cannot argue either. (laughs) We're all public speakers at the end of the day. But I like this idea of working on your craft to get to where you do stand out and you do treat it real. And I think that the next 90 days, the next 180 days, that's really going to be the challenge and the opportunity for people who have a chance to really work in and on their business as opposed to kind of throwing their hands up. Yeah. You know, one thing you said, I think is so smart, but I just want to, to, to parse that out a bit, you know, that everybody's a speaker and that's true. I think everybody has a voice, but there's a difference between being a speaker and a professional. So I would say that, yes, everybody's a speaker, but just because you gave the speech at your aunt's wedding and people laughed, doesn't mean you're a professional speaker. I don't think <laughs> disparaging, by the way, maybe you could be, I hope you are, but just let's treat it in the same way to say to yourself, like, just because you can throw a pitch doesn't mean you're a professional baseball player. You have to do a lot of work to become a professional baseball player. So what I'm hoping that people take away here is that we all can become professional speakers. We just got to do the work. Yeah. And I like to tell people that to become a successful blank, so we can put anything in here, but let's say successful speakers are not doing what everyone else cannot do. Successful speakers are doing what everyone can do, but not everyone does. And that's put in the work, put in the grind. Like I think a lot of times we look for hacks when at the end of the day, it's like you said, this is your profession, dig in and dig deep. So I I think that's a great way to look at it. This is an interesting quick time to thank our sponsors, uh, Speaker Hub, who puts all of this together for me. And if you are a speaker, it can be lonely right now. And Speaker Hub is a way to connect with other speakers. It's a marketplace for speakers. It's a way to call, find call for speakers. And it's a way to present yourself as a speaker. So if you're not on Speaker Hub, now's a good time to maybe check it out. Josh, this has been great to talk with you. How do people get more information? How do they learn about the Three Ring Circus? How do they find you? How do they connect? Because this is just the tip of your iceberg. And uh, I've been a fan for a while. So where do people go to get more of Josh? Yeah, thanks so much. So if you're interested in us helping you grow your speaking business, go to 3ringcircus.com. That's just the numeral three, ringcircus.com. 
it's a little joke, like after all, it's a circus out there. And, and we're trying to be playful with the name, even though we treat the business very seriously, because there's all this BS out there, like, hey, become a zillionaire speaker. And we just want it to be real and authentic and give people actual what they need to do to build their speaking practice. So anyway, it's threeringcircus.com. If you'd like to learn more about me, uh, just my website is my name, joshlinkner.com. And my social handles are all my name, at Josh Linkner. If you're a speaker out there, hey, Josh says that it's going to be okay. And I think that following and taking advice from people who have who have ridden this storm for a long time and who have found success, it's worth listening to. So Josh, great information. It really just, if I was to say one thing that pulls out, everyone is a speaker, but now is the time to get serious about being a professional speaker. And there will always be a high demand for highly entertaining speakers who have core messages that speak and impact your audience. So build your player cards, people. Check out uh, Josh, check out Speaker Hub, check me out. There's just a lot of people who are trying to serve right now, and I'm excited to contribute to that. Josh, talking too much, just that's because I'm a big fan of yours, and, uh, and I'm excited to see this all work out for everyone. Well, thanks so much for the time today. Thanks for your leadership in the industry, and stay safe and healthy. I will do. And everyone, wash your hands and don't touch your face. Adios. Adios.